Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... God doesn't want us to come to Him half-hearted, partial-hearted. God says, come to me with everything. And so God says to some of us, hey, if you return to me with all your heart, maybe you've had a divided heart. Maybe you've had a heart for the Lord, but you've been giving your heart away to someone else or something else that you're not able to really give God a full commitment. God says, I want you to first return to me with all your heart. It all begins there. I don't want half of you. I don't want most of you. I didn't die on the cross and rise from the dead to have most of you. I want your whole heart. The sacrifice that Jesus made is worthy of our devotion to Him. Today, Pastor Bill will speak on the powerful principle of surrendering our entire heart to the Lord. Sometimes, people want to only give the Lord portions of their life while they hold on to others for themselves. God deserves all of you, and He can do more through us when we surrender to Him. Is there a part of you that you have yet to give over to the Lord? He wants all of you and is ready to do great things in your life. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 7 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. 1 Samuel chapter 7, I titled the message tonight, Remember God. Remember God. What we're going to see as we go through the chapter is uh, they're going to finally get a victory. If you guys remember, Israel's been in a, a bad place in their relationship with the Lord, so they've been disobedient. Because of that, they've lost battles that they would have probably won otherwise. Um, God has been spanking them, if you will, dealing with them. The ark was taken away by the Philistines. The Philistines had the ark, and, and the last couple of weeks was spent of God causing the Philistines to realize that he is not a joke. and He is not to be played with. So the ark was returned via cart, and young, young calves uh, was returned over to the, the, the believer, over to Israel again. So now they have the ark again and they get another opportunity to do things right. And so we'll see them do some things right. So we want to pay attention uh, to what we're going to hear about. So everybody look at first Samuel chapter seven, the ark had been returned. The men of Beth Shemesh, because God had struck them. Remember they sent little golden articles. They sent golden rats and golden hemorrhoids. They were having the, the little, the little tumors that they had. They sent that back up. And uh, but Israel, when the ark first returned, they celebrated. Then they did what? They did something they shouldn't have done. Somebody peeked inside in an irreverent way. And so there was there was God struck people dead there. And, and that's where that reminder to, to, to God is holy and to be feared and not to be treated as common. Uh, they were reminded of that in a really severe way. So now look at chapter seven, verse one. It says, then the men of Kerjath, Jerem, came and took the ark of the Lord and they brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So they did something a little unconventional. The ark would normally go into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, but they're afraid of it. They're like, man, we don't know. We, we, we're afraid to move this thing too far. You know, we got somebody of the right lineage. We're going to put this ark in the house of Abinadab on the hill. And then there was a consecration ceremony for Eliezer, his son, that he might be the one instructed to, to be in charge of the ark. So it's unconventional. It's not what normally would have happened. And we believe that they did this because they were fearful. Um, 
50,000 and 70 men were struck dead. And they're like, wait a minute, we need, we, we need to get right with Jehovah. We need to get things right. And so they put it there in the house of Abinadab. Now, I want you guys to think about this with me. If you were Abinadab, do you want the ark in your house or do you not want the ark in your house? I was pondering that. I, I guess it would all come down to, uh, you know, where you were with the Lord, um, your understanding of the ark and where it could and couldn't go. Um, and I, I thought that was an interesting question because it, this ark represented the presence of God. And for some people, if I told you guys, if Jesus Christ was here in the flesh, would you want him to come to your house or would you not want him to come to your house? It would have everything to do with what kind of house you were living in. Amen. If you living right, honoring God, and you'd be like, yes, yo, please, you'd be an honored guest at my house, Lord, yes. But if you was living halfway, you'd be like, nah, Lord, you should go to her house. You Go to Pastor Bill's house instead. You, we'll, be, we'll be sending them over to somebody else's house. You know, um, it, it does say something about it. So I, I would presume that Abinadab probably was living right and said, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll house this thing. And we'll have Eliezer uh, take care of the, the, all the concerns, the ark. So look at verse 2 now. It says, so it was that the ark remained in Kerjath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel were lamented after the Lord. So it stayed there 20 years, a long time. Um, and so there, there, you know, there was nothing really going on with it, but it was... 20 years of Israel before we get to where we are, where they're finally going to, to get some things right. And um, I think we'd all agree 20 years is a long time. But it says all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. There was a brokenness about, you know, how things were going in their relationship. And I, I want you to consider tonight, where is your relationship with the Lord? Uh, is it in a good place? Is it in a struggling place? Are you away from the Lord? Are you near to the Lord? What does your relationship with the Lord look like? How do you see it? How does God see it? Um, something for us all to consider. Here's why it's so important for us to consider it. It's the one thing that we can do something about, right? There's a lot of things that you can't do anything about. You can't do anything about what's happening on your television. We can't do anything about what's happening in the nation. We can't do anything about a lot of things. The one thing everybody listening can do something about is how you're doing with the Lord. Every one of us can If it's not good, you can get it good. If it's doing good, you can maintain, you can keep it good. You can take it deeper. That's the one thing you're in charge of is how you're doing with the Lord. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. I remember one time um, I was doing a Q&A and um, a question was coming about, you know, somebody kept saying, you know, I, I just really want to be closer to God. Like, what, what can I do to be closer to God? I really want to be closer to God. And I remember as I was listening the Holy Spirit just reminded me of a verse. I said, no, you're not. You don't want to be close. You, and this, is, this is the realization God gave me. It, it was kind of harsh, but it was true. Everybody today at this moment are as close to God as you want to be. Because the Bible says if you, God says that if you draw near to him, he does what? He runs away from you. No, he does that. if you draw near to him, he draws near to you. Amen. So that means that wherever we are in proximity to the Lord is right where we have chosen to be. And God's like, no, if you really wanted to be closer, you would be. You're, you're right where you want to be today. Don't say, I want to be closer. I want to read more. I want to pray. No, 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 no. Don't say that. Just do it. Some people, some people do. They say it, and it sounds good. I just want to spend time more time in the Word. No, you don't. You spent as much time in the Word day as you wanted to. It's not that you want to do. You, everybody is where they want to be. So if you want to go deeper, don't say it. 
do it. Amen. All right. So that that's a uh, that that's for free for all of us. We we can all get we're all right where we want to be. So if you don't like where you are, then you need to do something. Um, it's us that need to turn back to Him. He never goes away from you, but we do go away from Him, and it's us that needs to return. So uh, so moving on, it says now in verse three. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. Then here's the promise. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel is the prophet of God. He's the spokesman for God. He's he's the judge over the people of God. He's all that. You know, this is God's man of the hour. Uh, this is the guy that God is speaking to, and he's speaking to the people on God's behalf. And Samuel says, you know what? You guys are a mess. Uh, he doesn't say it in those words, but they're not doing good. They know it. He gives them the remedy. And he's, there's a few things he says, and I want you to pay attention because oftentimes when we're away from the Lord, this is the same things we need to do to get back on track. He said to them, if you, number one, return to the Lord with all your heart. God doesn't want us to come to him half-hearted, partial-hearted. God says, come to me with everything. And so God says to some of us, hey, if you return to me with all your heart, maybe you've had a divided heart. Maybe you've had a heart for the Lord, but you've been giving your heart away to someone else or something else that you're not able to really give God a full commitment. God says, I want you to first return to me with all your heart. It all begins there. I don't want half of you. I don't want most of you. I didn't die on the cross and rise from the dead to have most of you. I want your whole heart. And that's something we want to consider. Um, I think about this with the Lord, right? God is, he's God, right? He has, he owns everything. The cattle on a thousand hill, all the silver, all the gold. There's nothing that God wants that he doesn't have except our hearts. Our hearts are something that we can give or not give to the Lord. And he doesn't, he doesn't take them by force. We worshipfully give our hearts to the Lord. And so the first thing Samuel says, you got to return to the Lord first with all your heart. And I would encourage us tonight, anyone that's listening that would say, you know what, I'm not quite where I need to be with the Lord. Um, just do a heart inspection. Is my heart divided? Is my heart gone after something else? Is there some area of my heart that God's like, man, I want all of you to come back to me. Return to me, he says, with all your heart. Next, he says, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you. Now, it's interesting that they separate foreign gods and asterisks. They were worshiping Baal and a, a number of other gods. Interesting because the asterisks would have been like the, some people believe that these were like the spouses like Asherah would have been the spouse of Baal, the female counterpart, um, where, where Baal worship, um, they worship Baal in one way, they worship Asherah in another way. It was, a, it, was a, it was sexual sin uh, that was associated with worship, the worship of Asherah. And so um, God says, look, first return to me with all your heart, then put away these foreign gods. This is what was getting Israel in trouble so often is that they were going after other gods. They were worshiping uh, the, the foreign gods around them. And so God says, put them away, put away the, the, the bows and put away the asterisks from among you. And so once again, I would challenge us that need to come back to the Lord. Um, first, God says, come with all your heart. But then he says, now, now get rid of, I want you to first, it's a heart issue. Then it becomes a practical issue. Now that you've come to me with all your heart, I want you to get rid of the things that are in my way. 
I want you to get rid of anything that was 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 taking my place. If you were worshiping Baal or Asherah, get rid of it. Maybe you're watching this tonight and you weren't worshiping Baal or Asherah, but maybe it was something else that was taking preeminence in your heart. It was taking a it was taking a position in your heart that God deserves and God would say, put it away. Sometimes the things that God calls us to put away are not even sins in themselves. They just have become sinful because we've given too much attention to them. You can give attention to a non-sinful thing that it becomes like a sin to you. Are sports sinful? No, no. Sports are okay, right? Uh, Paul used the analogy of sports all in his teachings. He obviously was watching the games, right? So sports in and of themselves are not bad. But if you watch sports and you, 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 if you watch it so much that, that I don't have time for church, I know people that can't make church during football season because they got to see all the games. I would say that's too much if you're listening, talking to you, right? That's too much. If you can't leave the couch and come for worship because ah, I got to see all the games. Not even aiming your team. You got to see all of the football games. God need to whoop your behind. So, um, but but it, it can become sinful when it becomes something that it's, it takes that much precedence over my life. So put away the bows and the asterisks. Put away the foreign gods. Put away the idol worship. And to you and I, anything that has exalted itself above God in our hearts and our lives, we should put it away. Um, even if it's not a sinful thing, but it's, it's, taken, it's taken too much, takes my attention away from God, we should put those things away. That was step number two. First, return with all your heart. Then put away the, the idols that you're worshiping. Then it says, and prepare your hearts for the Lord your God and serve him only. Um, what does it mean to prepare your heart. And I want you to think about this, right? How do you prepare your heart for the Lord? The way we prepare a place for the Lord is we get rid of everything that he wouldn't want. Uh, I want you to think about when it says prepare a place or prepare your heart for the Lord. I want you to think about preparing your home. And if you are preparing your home for a specific person, let's say the person in mind that you're preparing your home for, let's say this person is in a wheelchair. They got a special need. Uh, they don't eat meat. They got a special diet. Um, you know, they don't like animals. So that you got to prepare where you, if you got animals, they got to be outside. You would, if you were going to really prepare the house for them, you'd make sure there were no animals they can come in contact with. You'd make sure there was a smooth trail or smooth, you know, place with a wheelchair to get in and out. And you wouldn't be making burgers for dinner because they don't eat meat. You, you prepare something. If you were really preparing for them to be there, you'd have something delicious. You'd have some greens or something prepared, you know, for this individual. That's what it would mean to prepare for them. What's it mean to prepare for the Lord? Prepare our hearts for the Lord. Everything we know about him from the word. God said, you know what he loves. You know what he hates. Prepare your heart for him. Remove the things that he hates and take in the things that he loves. Prepare your heart. If I was going to prepare a room, if, the, if Jesus was coming over, I think I'd, I'd want worship playing. He liked that. He liked some worship music. What would I put out on the coffee table? Um, would it be, you know, it'd be, it'd be easy. I mean, I put the word of God. I'd have, I put scriptures up around. I'd, I'd put the things that I think he would want to be there. God says, then prepare your heart. Make room. Prepare your heart for me. Get rid of the stuff that I hate that you know I don't want. And, and make room for me in your heart. Prepare your heart for the Lord. And then I want you to notice, it says, and serve him only. The Lord is interested in exclusivity with you. He says, I want you to serve. I don't want you to serve me and something else. I want you to serve me only. Samuel understand this and Samuel instructs the people. God's not interested in people doing, trying to do both. 
I'm, I'm going to continue worshiping Baal and Asherah and serve God too. God's like, I'm not, I'm not having that. I won't have that. I won't have that. I'm not interested in that kind of relationship. You got to serve me only. God wants us to be exclusive worshipers. Only worship the Lord. Can't worship God and something else. And so these are the instructions that Samuel gives to the people of God, the Israelites. And then he makes a promise. If they'll do these things, right? What are the four things? They got to return the Lord with all their hearts. Number one. Number two, put away the foreign gods, the bowels and the asterisks. Number three, prepare your hearts for the Lord. And number four, serve him only. Exclusive service to the Lord. If they'll do this, verse three says, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines have been whomping them, been whipping them in war. Samuel says to them, if you guys will get right with God, God will give you victory over your enemies, the Philistines. You won't beat them. God will give you victory. God will do it for you guys. So now look what it says in verse four. It says, so the children of Israel put away the bowels and the asterisks and served the Lord only. Something that's unique in this chapter because Israel's been disobedient. I want you to know at this point they heard from Samuel and it says, so they did. So they did it. Samuel said, this is what you guys need to do. And here it says, so they did. We're going to look at verses five and six. And again, they're going to be told what to do. And it's going to say, and so they did. So they gathered, you know, there's a humble obedience about them right now. That's always when we're in a good place. When you're in a good place spiritually, there'll be humility and there'll be obedience. Amen. When you're slow to obey, um, you got a hard head. Anybody know kids you got a hard head? You tell them something and you got to tell them more than once. Uh, what they say, a hard head makes a what? All right, I got some old school people here. A hard head makes a soft behind. That's what I grew up understanding, you know. So uh, so you you didn't want to have that hard of a head, you know. And so there now there's a submission about them. They're they're listening. Samuel tells them what they need to do. And it says, so they so they did it. So they put away the bows and asterisks and they served the Lord only. Now, verses five and six. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah. I want you I want to stop right there. Here's another thing he told them to do. Samuel told the people, gather everyone together at Mizpah and I'll pray for you. And so it says, so they did. I want you to notice how quick they got this new rhythm of hearing and obeying that's happening in their life. That's what personal revival looks like, you guys. If there's going to be a personal revival in your own heart, your own life, that's what it's going to look like. Hearing and obeying. Heard from God, did what God said. Heard God, obey God. That's what private revival looks like. Now, if you can get a whole bunch of people to do that, that's what big revival looks like. If you can get a whole bunch of people that will listen to God and obey him, that'll be revival. There'll be the hand of God at move at moving in a, in a major way. And so, again, Samuel told the people of God, gather at Mizpah and I'll pray for you. And it says, so they gathered. Uh, so they gathered together at Mizpah. They drew water and poured it out before the Lord. Before I go to the fasting, um, this was an interesting thing. I looked up what that means, um, that they drew water out. Now, for some of y'all that grew up in the hood, People would pour out alcohol for the, they would say for the dead homie. So if somebody was drinking beer or alcohol, they would, they would pour a little bit out, you know, uh, and, and we know that the dead folk ain't able to drink it, but it was, uh, symbolically they were pouring a little bit out for the dead homies. This is kind of close to that, right? As they pour this water out, it's like they're pouring themselves out to God, symbolic of God, we're pouring out ourselves to you. 
Um, and so they drew water and they poured it out before the Lord. Then it says, and they fasted that day. And they said there, we have sinned against uh, the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now, fasting is a, it's, it's an important aspect of the life of the believers. Uh, right here, this time of fasting was for repentance. Now, as you look throughout scripture, there were times where people fasted and prayed for many reasons. Sometimes they needed to hear from God. They needed God to move in a significant way. But there were times when there was fasting, there's prayer and fasting of repentance. Uh, you guys remember in the book of Jonah, when the people of Nineveh heard that God was going 40 days and judgment was coming, it says the, the, the king of Nineveh said, everybody's repent and everybody fast in sackcloth. He says, the animals ain't even going to eat. Everybody, he put the animals on a fast. Your dog, your chihuahua going to be hungry for the week. You know, like everybody fasting for this week or whatever. And let's just see what God will do as we humble ourselves. And as they fasted and prayed and repented, God received it as as repentance and he he was he was, he took away the judgment he was going to bring about. So here this fasting and prayer is is symbolic. It's, this is what they're saying. When they're saying God there's nothing more important to us right now than that we get right with you. Even eating food is not as important to me today as it is that I get right with you. So I'm passing on food and we're praying and we're fasting and we're repenting and we're acknowledging we have sinned against you, but we want to make it right today. And God received it. Uh, we're going to see in just a moment. So that's one reason that you could fast and pray if repenting before the Lord and you are, are making some serious steps to turn things around. You can fast and pray. Biblical fasting is, is putting food away. All biblical fasts are dealing with food. Uh, I, I've been in churches where they say, well, you can fast TV. No, you can't fast TV. You don't even need TV. You know, th here's the thing with a fast, right? You need food to eat, right? Your body needs it. So from the time you were born, you came out of the womb and you, you had a hunger and you went, you were nursing on mom or sucking on a bottle or something. You had an appetite your entire life. However many times a day, whatever your, whatever your rhythm is, your body says it's time to eat. It's a time for some nutrition. I need it. If I don't get it, I'm going to be hangry or whatever you're going to be. And so um, you got a natural bodily thing that goes and says time to eat, time to eat, time to eat. So when you, for spiritual purposes, say that's going to happen and I'm going to tell it no today, all day. Today I'm fasting. For spiritual purposes, I'm telling the flesh, shut up. I'm going to listen. I'm, I'm, I'm tuning in to God in a greater way. That's what fasting is. Now, there's partial fast. There's there's, you know, absolute fast. If you look at the fast Moses did, it was food and water. You can't do that one very long um, before you'll be in some trouble. Um, most biblical fasts were just no food, but consuming water. Um, there was the Daniel fast where he ate vegetables and water for 10 days. But fasting is is abstaining from eating food. So don't let nobody fool you. When the, you know, I'm a fast Facebook. You probably turn that off anyway. But you know, don't, don't call that a fast. You, if you're going to fast a biblical fast, you're going to pass on the plate. Now, you could do it for one meal, two meals, three meals, one day, two days, three days, ten days. Up to you. God doesn't put any parameters on how long do I have to do it? He, he never tells us. Everybody here gets to decide. Um, the Lord can lead you. The Lord can direct you. God can lay it upon your heart. There's no hard, fast rules on fasting. You got to do it for this long or you got to do it on these particular days. But it is a spiritual discipline that we see throughout Scripture. Uh, something important to note, and then we'll move on. In Matthew chapter 6, as Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he deals with three areas of, of Christian discipline. He deals with charitable giving. 
he deals with praying, and he deals with fasting. And in all three areas, he says, when you fast, pray, give, he says, don't do it like the hypocrites. They do it just to be seen. So glad you've joined us today here on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. We're currently in the book of 1 Samuel. Many of the childhood Bible stories stem from this book. David is a main character, and he came from humble means. He was a simple shepherd boy, but God had great things in mind for him. He was a musician also, and this served him well as he was able to help King Saul. But more than these occupational type of skills, David had a heart for God like no other. God refers to David as a man after his own heart. What a compliment coming from the very creator of everything. This doesn't mean that David was perfect. As we all know, he wasn't. But his heart was continually coming back to God, seeking help, asking for refuge, and coming back with a repentant heart. This is the type of heart God wants from each of us. Do you find yourself looking up to David and his character? If you'd like to learn more about David and 1 Samuel, feel free to listen to more teachings from this series on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. That's calvaryinglewood.org. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Our time with you today is about up, but we encourage you to keep reading and studying this eventful book of the Bible. We're so grateful you took the time to listen today. And Pastor Bill will be back with more in the coming edition of 1 Samuel. Until then, keep your head in the Word and your heart close to God. Then, make sure to come back for another insightful edition of A Transforming Word.